Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In this episode, we discuss mob programming, a style of programming in which the entire team sits together and works on a single task at a time. Our guest, Llewellyn Falco, is one of the thought leaders on this technique. He explains how mob programming helps teams learn and how it accelerates the delivery of working software. Hi, Llewellyn. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. So for our audience, Llewellyn is a very modest but very well-known person in the uh, Agile space and the developer of some interesting techniques. And uh, we would really like to uh, ask you to introduce yourself. Yeah, well, uh, my name is Llewellyn Falco. It's Lou plus Ellen squashed together. It's a very Welsh name, lots of L's. And I am an Agile technical coach. And what that means is like a lot of Agile coaches uh, work with management, work with the scrum and meetings and how the team works together. Um, That's not really what I do at all. Uh, It's an important thing, but it's just a different thing from what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm sitting with the programmers and we're programming together and we're learning to program better together. And this comes from a few things uh, that I created. One is a style of pair programming called Strong Style. Uh, And from Strong Style uh, with Woody Zool, we created something that became mob programming. Woody sort of discovered that this mechanism that we used worked at a production level instead of just for learning. Uh, When me and Woody were doing it, we were just doing it for the purposes of learning. And we realized there's a lot more to it. Uh, So... Mob programming sort of facilitates a lot of that. And then um, unrelated to the technical coaching, but uh, I co-founded something called Teaching Kids Programming. It's a charity that creates free and open source courseware for uh, teaching kids to program, usually ages 10 and up. And then I also uh, am the creator of an open source project called Approval Test, which deals with, uh, it's a verification library, but it makes it easier to do unit testing. And so this background of sort of teaching and learning and, and technical uh, sort of all comes together and works really well for technical coaching, which a lot of teams, they, it's hard for them to do things in an agile manner because it's just hard for them to do things, period, because their code has really, really sort of got them boxed in a bit of a corner. So since you were mentioning about mobbing, yeah, can you please uh, give us an idea as to what is the you know, thought process behind mobbing and uh, what are the big uh, the, the focus of getting the benefits out of all that mobbing? So, I mean, first of all, just in terms of what it is, mob programming is literally four to six to eight. It's usually the entire team of programmers sitting at a single computer and programming together on that single computer. And when we're programming like this, we're rotating very, very quickly. Usually every two to four minutes, someone new is at the computer. And and the person at the computer isn't, isn't doing the work while everyone else watches. It's everyone else is telling the person at the computer what they want them to type. So it's really the, the team thinking together and working together. And originally, we did this because Woody was a banjo player and he used to talk a lot about you know how at music festivals afterwards around the campfire 
the musicians would get together and they would play music together. But at programming festivals or conferences, we never did that. We just got together and we talked about programming, but we never actually did programming together. Mm-hmm. And so when I discovered this this way of working together that with the dojo, um, I brought it back to Woody and then I applied strong style. And the, the difference is strong style pairing and regular pairing is the person who has the idea in strong style gives up the keyboard and tells the other person. Where in, in traditional pairing, the person who has the idea takes the keyboard and then you sort of have to watch what they're doing and try to reverse engineer. That's, that's a very difficult way of communicating. And so we would get together and we would we would do this uh, for the purposes of learning. And then a lot of everything else that came out of mobbing was was not intentional. It, it was much more discovery and and usually surprising discovery. I've often dated technical people. And very often one of the things that's very frustrating to them is, you know, they'll come home and just like like any uh, relationship, you know, you talk about your day. And they'll talk about things that they're having trouble with at work. Yeah. And very often my response is just, well, if you were mobbing, you wouldn't have these problems. Right. <laughs> so they're like, how do you how do you deal with merging and branching issues? And I'm like, yeah, if you're mobbing, you don't have that problem, right? Because if everybody's working on the same thing, like so often one of the really important parts about Agile is limit your work in progress. Right. Like do one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. Mobbing does that as a side effect, right? Like, because if the whole team is working on one thing, you can only ever work on one thing at a time. Yeah, you know, one thing that I've I've noticed uh, when somebody's trying to explain what the problem is, automatically they realize what where the problem was. Yes. you don't you don't even have to solve it for them. They no. realize this. Oh, that's what I was doing wrong. So I'm like just simply explaining it to the others. Uh, the problem gets uh, realized. So but yeah, I see. About, I see the um, power of mobbing coming that way. Well, and think about how long it takes before, like, how long do you have to struggle? Especially, you know, programmers take so much of their identity in being able to know the answers. Like we are the problem solvers. Yeah. And and so think about how long we have to struggle before we go and ask for help. Yeah. And yeah. then as we describe the problem, we get the answer. Like that 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 waiting to ask for help, that's just waste. And in the mob, it occurs all the time. We're not getting stuck because we are constantly helping everybody out, right? And it so much of programming is getting stuck. And in fact, you know, the average number of lines of code written by a programmer a day is 10. 10 lines of code that that is not very many i've actually heard someone say that about 90 percent of the time is spent thinking about the problem and how to solve it and 10 percent coding sounds yeah. like it might be even less than that <laughs> I, I think so although also keep in mind that a lot of times we code things that we then have to delete or undo or when the bug report comes back then we have to undo yeah well i think the <laughs> the main problem in under that circumstance or usual circumstances is that you are making some assumptions and then running with it and then yeah. by the time you reach the end of it then you realize oh the basic assumption was wrong or something like that <laughs> and then yes. you have to rehash the whole thing well and so often so here's a story from uh so i'm out at a company in 
uh, in Miami. And we would mob, and we had this wonderful little team room. And so the the team that was mobbing, the developers, they were just always having fun. One of the things we don't talk about too much is, like, the importance of fun at work. Yeah. But mobbing is is joyful. And it's joyful for a couple of reasons. One, of course, is, like, the social interaction. One is learning. Like, I can't express how important it is to learn as part of enjoyment. Like if you're doing the same thing over and over and over and not learning, that is, that is like soul crushing. Yeah. I mean, this is automatic cross pollination. There is yeah. no, yeah, it, it forced pollination. But then it, it, it's also, you're not getting stuck and that Correct. frustration is that, that is a killer of joy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so often people who are not programmers would come in and ask if they could join us just because they wanted to have fun too. They're like, yeah. you guys are having fun. I want to have fun. So uh, one question I have is, I'm assuming when the team is actually mobbing or programming, I'm assuming the team means that does include product owner also, so that so, any of the assumptions are clarified right there. The answer is, I, I want it to include product owner. It's open invitation for the product owner, but they don't always join. It's better when they join. Yes. Fact, we had one team, this is out in Maryland, where their product owners, they never actually joined the mob in terms of like taking the keyboard or stuff. But what they would do is they would come and bring their laptops and sit with the mob as the mob programmed. Mm -hmm. And then the moment we had questions, and we, I mean, they knew things that that we were just utterly confused about. Like, how, how come a fiscal week has more than 365 days? <laughs> like, <laughs> where are these extra days of the year coming from? <laughs> right, 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 and, right. And, and they would explain these things to us. And, and then we could ask questions. And some of the questions were like, you know, okay, well, when you're going year to year, do you actually care if we, like, if it goes over a year? Does it need to be a year plus two days? Could it be a year minus five days? And, and they're like, yeah, it, it doesn't make a difference at all. And I'm like, okay, because... Programming wise, yeah, it makes a, a difference. Big difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like it is much much harder to make a SQL statement that branches on what how it does stuff. Correct. Correct. Um, correct. And so it was these kind of questions that we could ask really easily. And basically, there's two things that the product owners loved about this. One is when they would sit and work on their computers while they were waiting. A lot of times they were just working on their own computer, right. and that means they weren't in a meeting. Right, and, and they were actually getting work done. Okay. One of the things that I've taken to a lot, and we'll talk about the importance of mobbing with this, but is I've just been asking people, what does their day at work look like? Like not what do they do, mm -hmm. but but what does it look like? Are you are you sitting at a desk the entire day? Are you going to meeting to meeting? You know, like you some coaches, they facilitate all the stand ups in the morning, and then they will do like meetings for the rest of the day and some of them will do they'll do some stand-ups and then they'll do one-on-ones with people so they're sort of walking around or they're taking people like sort of to lunch and, and doing like a one-on-one -on -one meeting right. some of them are sitting at their own desks and they're putting together reports and working on backlogs and stuff like that and and just getting an idea of what their day actually looks like mm -hmm. is very insightful in a way that asking what they do is not hmm. right and actually just seeing like what their day is. That's very helpful. Mobbing yeah. is amazing for this because if you if you want to know what's actually going on, 
if you put your team in a mob, even for just a little bit, like an hour or two a week, and right. you sit there for that hour or two, you will get a really profoundly useful idea of what what it looks like when they program. You might not have any idea what they're actually doing. Right. But you might be like, well, they, they seem to open this program a lot, and they seem to make really frowny f faces and struggle or – you know, they said something about committing and they're cursing a lot. And like you said, you might not understand what these things mean, but you, you will gain really profound insights into what they actually do. So if you have a mechanism of getting your team to mob, even if you don't understand what they're doing at all, it gives you an ability to observe the team. In the same way as I think of this as like Jane Goodall observing the chimps, right? Like you <laughs> need to just see the programmers in their natural habitat. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, we we tried this in other places, but not the method in which you had because our teams were distributed. Yeah. But we would we were doing this one one hour uh, a week, and we used to call it acceleration hour. And all the teams and the POs used to be there, and they realized the number of stories, number of things got done was phenomenal. And then they would prepare for the next acceleration hour throughout the week. So they had that done, <laughs> but they were actually seeing the things were getting done much more faster. Yeah, and uh, even the after uh, effect of that was that their regular day went faster uh, when well, they were not mocking. So I've been doing a lot of conference stuff lately, and what I notice is most of the time I will send an email because if I can send an email and get a reply, like that's good. But the moments I realize that there's going to be like five or six emails back and forth, like I will switch to a phone call. Yeah. Because those five or six emails back and forth can take like a week and a half and we're going to miscommunicate. And a 15-minute phone call will clear it all up and get a, like a better result. So it's it's less work and it's a, it's a better result. And yet so often communication like between our product owners or between our testers or between our, our BA, like it, it goes through this, it's usually not email, although sometimes it is as well. It's usually meetings, which again are just a remarkably ineffective way of doing it. So, so to go back to that story, back in Miami, like we have this team, and and they're just having fun. So the the graphic artist was like, "Can I join you?" <laughs> and and we were like, "Yes, absolutely," right? Uh, and so he comes and he joins, and we're working on this icon. And the icon, I guess, was not the actual size that we needed it. I forget. But it wasn't, like, far off. But it was, like, you needed to scale it, like, 75% or something. And maybe it wasn't, like, exactly linear. Anyhow, the programmers were like, oh, yeah, no problem. And they just set the the width and height in HTML. And the artist was was immediately not okay with that. <laughs> right? Mm. He's like what have you just done to my beautiful icon? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, this is the size it needs to be. And so he pulls out his laptop and he opens up Photoshop, which, I mean, not only did none of us have Photoshop on our, on yeah. our computers, it wouldn't have mattered if we did because none of us knew how to use Photoshop. Oh, he, exactly. <laughs> and, and so he very quickly changes the icon so that it looks beautiful at that exact size mm -hmm. and resends it to us. And we take it and we and we put it in, and just think of what a difference that is. Yeah. Between like, had we done it, and then when it went to pass like acceptance, they would have been like, no, I don't like that, and then it would have been like, 
well, do you not like it enough that you want to bring it up as a new story for Nick Sprint? Yeah. Or do you want to get it in this release? And, well, that's what the JIRA said. And, like, that entire conversation not only doesn't have to happen. Right. But the team is now focused on getting the best software as opposed to who to blame for what they created. Just automatically the team had the ownership, not just single person. Yeah. That's the big difference. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. That's And, and, so, then, and everyone knows they have each other's back. Yeah. So these are all very compelling uh, stories. And I'm a total believer, but I'm sure you're asked <laughs> often... But how can all these people working together be more effective than working in parallel on things? I, I am asked that a lot. I'm and sure. Is I, I there want any... to answer it. But before we even get to that, there's a bigger issue that I think, because before you're worried about your team being effective, I mean, so many people, like well, the question I get a lot from coaches who are, who are less technical, right? Not non-technical, but but maybe they haven't programmed in many, many years, or maybe mm -hmm. they've never programmed. Um is they're just terrified to even get the team to mob. Right. And and the thing is, facilitating a mob has has nothing to do with programming. Correct. And it has to do with facilitation skills. And and once you can get your team to do that, even if again, if even if it's just an hour or two a week, you now can observe the mob in a way that you will never get information from a stand-up, in a way that you will never get from a meeting. And so if you want to be able to figure out, like, what's actually, what are the actual problems in a team and how do I fix them? Don't worry about the efficiency at all, because, you know, it, even if the efficiency of a mob was was close to zero, it, it's still higher than the, the amount of work that gets done in a meeting, which is actually zero. <laughs> right. And so. And so I had a friend who was who got her team. She was a, she was a less technical coach, and she got her team to mob. And she was terrified to do it in the beginning, right? Um, but we sort of like worked work through it. Um, there's a guidebook you can grab online for free that sort of shows you the mechanics of it. And and she got her team to to work. And she had a a team member on there that she knew something was wrong, because during the standups, she would often say. I'm I'm still working on on what I was working on yesterday, which doesn't really tell you what the struggle was of yesterday. Yeah. But she didn't know how to help this team member. She didn't know how how to how to nudge them or fix them or even really what the problem is. And as soon as she got to see them in the environment, she got to see like what that team member was struggling with and she didn't even like she didn't know how to fix those problems but she knew that tom didn't have those problems and she was able to like connect them so they could fix their own problems right. and she could see okay now that particular problem has gone away but we still have this other problem right and maybe we need jane to help out on that problem and you you just get this ability to see into what your team is doing in a way that that you don't get through meetings that you don't get through Trello boards that you don't get through status reports. And so if you don't have a mechanism to see the behaviors of your team and modify the behaviors of your team, right? before right. we even get to the efficiency part, start with that because 
that information is invaluable. And I mean, you can imagine like a golfing coach or like a figure skating coach or a dancing coach. They're not the best figure skaters. They're not the best golfers, right? But it's impossible to imagine them ever not seeing the people they're coaching doing the thing that they're coaching them on. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. like you would never be a dancing coach and and never see the person you're coaching dance. Like that, <laughs> that is crazy. You've got, yeah. you've got to see them in their natural environment. And then even if you don't really understand how to do it yourself, you can still point out and, and like, I think we all do this when we like watch sports on TV, right? Yeah. You're like, oh man, what the hell? What, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> and and you don't. Okay, yeah, you can't do it, but it's easy to observe and see. This is something we need to work on. Right. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, before you even worry about being productive or efficient with mobbing, start with just. Am I getting insights and, and visibility into the day-to-day workings of my team, how they are actually working in the code? And if you yeah. don't have that visibility, start there. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Usually when they ask me about this whip limits and stuff like that, I say, well, you know, if you have at least two or three stories completed, that's better than 10 stories being worked on and nothing get completed. Yes. So I know, the mobbing well, and will... <laughs> it also if you think about it from the tester's point of view, like one of the first things that happened uh, in Miami when I brought mobbing is their burn down chart started to look like an actual burn down chart. Most burn down charts look like a cliff. Like you have five team members and they're working on five stories for two weeks, and then on the Thursday or Friday of the second week, they all close. Yeah. <laughs> and because I'm like whoosh whoosh. And so, so they, they, they brought me, like they called a meeting and, and to me, every time a meeting is called, it's a, it's a signal that I am, I'm done something wrong and not, (laughs) not necessarily something bad, right? Because very often the meetings are called because I'm trying to do something good, but that I'm doing something too quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, as a coach, you want your behavior to exist when you leave. Right? Like I have a very firm belief that nothing I do when I'm with a client matters. That my my only measure to my effectiveness is what occurs after I leave. Okay. And and that that changes dramatically how you coach and and what you try to do because it has to st- it has to stick with them. Yeah. And there are things you can get someone to do when you're there, right? Like through force of will or personality or just authority or whatever. Um, But you can barely get anyone to do anything when you're gone. So you you really have to pay a lot more attention to what are they naturally doing? What do they want to do? How can you how can you change a behavior that will stick, um, which is usually not introducing a new behavior, but taking existing behavior and modify it slightly. The ownership has to shift to them, and yeah. not not yeah, they they should not look up to you all the time saying what what do I do next? Exactly. In fact, one of the mechanisms that I use for coaching is, is it's really simple. But I um I drink a lot of water, and so I just keep a bottle of water with me, and because of that, it, it makes two very natural things that occur. One is I have to refill the bottle of water, uh, which makes me leave the room. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other, of course, is I have to go to the bathroom, which will also <laughs> make me leave the room. And in, in the beginning, I'm doing this very quickly, just popping in and out. Uh, but they get used to the fact that they will continue working even though I'm not in the room. Right. And then once we do that, I can start extending the amount of time that I'm not in the room. Uh-huh. And the okay. idea is, so I work in these two-week blocks. Okay. Right, enough to establish a new behavior in the team, get them so they're proficient in it, and then get it so they're fluent in it, and then fluent to the level that I don't need to be there and they're still doing it. Right. And so near the end of the two weeks, I'm usually taking much longer times outside the room, uh, sort of outside the door, and just sort of observe and be like, hey, they're still doing what I want them to do. And then when they stop, I'll jump in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the idea is to figure out how much, you know, how long can I be gone and they're still doing what I want. Right. And you need to you need to create that space so that it's them, so that Correct. they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And very Absolutely. often we do this in a very hard manner. There's a podcast on community college and college in general, right? And one of the problems is very often when you're a kid, every element of your life is is very controlled. Right. This is yeah. when I will go to bed. This is where I'm going to be sleeping. This is you know, this is when I'm doing my homework. Like your parents have a structure for you and you are working within that structure. And then all of a sudden you go to college and now you don't have to go to bed at a certain time. You don't even have to come home, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to do homework. Like you are completely in control of your schedule. And that going from like no control of your schedule to a hundred percent control of your schedule is often really disastrous. Yeah. And yeah. quite a, quite a lot of people don't make that transition well, or, you know, like I, I know for me personally, like when I went to college and then I realized, Oh, I don't have to go to class. I had a semester where I didn't go to class very much, right? <laughs> and it, it took me a while to sort of figure out that, you know, yes, I, I don't have to go to class. Like, no one's going to yell at me, but I still have to go to class. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's I, I want to pass and learn my classes. Yeah, self, self-imposed discipline. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so by making this space and then expanding that space, you allow them to sort of take ownership of that. And, and, that's a really important thing because too often, you know, we, we go and we teach a class and during those five days, everybody's doing exactly what you want. And then you leave and it, it turns out nothing changed like a month right. later, nothing has changed at that company. And that's, it's really unfortunate. Um, in, in a lot, you know, that's like, a, that's a natural tendency of anyone saying that, Oh, so somebody was guiding me now. Uh, I'll go back to my comfort zone and uh, do those exactly. things. Exactly. You, so and, you need uh, to change what their comfort zone is. Yeah. And that is a, you can't change what their comfort zone is to a completely new thing. You need to make very small changes over and over. Right, right. And that's yeah. that's what we call cultural change. Culture comes the last. And uh, so one thing I want to ask you is, you mentioned something about the, there is a free um, workbook uh, guide. Oh, yes. which we can, uh, can you uh, can give us a guidebook.com. You can grab the Mob Programming Guidebook. Um, it was written by me and Marat. And it is a very uh, mechanistic book, right? Okay. So it's not really about the philosophy of mobbing. It's much more about, okay, you want to put your team in a mob, and here's how you set up the chairs. Here's how you set up the timer. Here's how you get people to talk to each other. Here's the 
like the language that you're going to need to use. Okay. It's, it's very much a guidebook. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. It sounds like when the team is working in this fashion, the retrospectives would be very different to the way they normally go. Yes. Is that correct? That's, that's an excellent point. Well, so the first thing is how often we retrospect is very different. So a lot of teams retrospect every at the end of every sprint, uh, which I actually think is a horrible idea because most sprints are two weeks. And it's basically impossible to remember what occurred in between a weekend. All right, so if you, if you look at a lot of retrospectives, they're talking about what happened on the current week anyways, because people can't really remember what happened a week ago. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think that you should, at, at the very minimum, retrospect at least once a week. Um, however, we retrospect every day when we mob. Um, and if we are mobbing in the morning and the afternoon, we will retrospect twice, like once before lunch and once at the end of the day. Um, now these retrospectives are much shorter than, than traditional retrospectives, like traditional retrospectives are like an hour or two. And these are usually closer to 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and they are more observational, right? So a lot of retrospectives are also biased towards action. Uh, but these are more biased towards um, digestion, right? Like a whole bunch of stuff happened today. Let's get aware of it. Now, that doesn't mean we won't come up with action items, but they're, they're not a requirement and, and they don't happen all the time. It's more of when we're digesting something, if we're like, oh, this is a problem, then we will come up with action items. Or if we're digesting something and we're like, hey, this was really good. We'd like to do more of it will come up with action items. But again, that doesn't happen all the time in a retro. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like if, if we do a retro twice a day, you, you might not have these things surface during that period of time. But you are going to have lots of things surface. Even just saying exactly what the good thing was. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes like just, just putting together the story of this is, this thing was, hey, something good happened. Hey, right. we worked today. Yeah, that that's not going to help it to repeat, right? But you can, if you sit there and say, you know, you know, when we were confused and we went to the whiteboard and we just wrote down these are the five things we're going to try to do, and then as we went through them, we could see, okay, we're on step two, we're on step three, we're on step four. That let the whole group get together. Then right. you can say, okay, well, next time we're confused, let's make sure we write something on the whiteboard so the whole group is on the same page. Right. And now right. now you've taken that thing that was good and actually sort of made it much more likely that it will happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you basically created the uh, no, ground rules or working agreement kind of thing, saying that, yeah, this is how we will work yes. together. Yeah, and working right. agreements are the things that both come out of yeah. the retrospectives, but also the modifications to the working agreements are things Correct. that grow because of these. Yeah, they, they need to happen organically. I'll tell you, when I first realized the importance of retrospectives, I, I was doing them regularly, but not, not very regularly with my teams. And I was starting to train other coaches because there was just way more teams at this client than I could ever get to. And so I was like, I need, I need people 
internal people here who can can do some of the coaching when I'm not here. And, you know, if there's one thing that's that's very true is you will never go wrong by doing too many retrospectives. So for all the coaches that I was training, I was like, at the end of each one, you need to do a retrospective. And for, for them, I made this, you know, like a, a law, like a, they have to do it. For myself, I was always thinking, you know, you know, I'm really good at showing new ideas and getting the teams to understand them in the moment. And so, like, I, I'm I'm a skilled enough facilitator that I don't really need the retros as much, so I can skip them from time to time. And then these brand new coaches that I was teaching, they started doing better with their teams than I was. <laughs> and I was like, damn. Maybe yeah. maybe I'm not as good of a gifted facilitator as I thought I was. Maybe we just need to do the retros. Yeah. And and that was the part where it really changed my philosophy. And then another change of that came from a retro on a team I was working with who So this was a team out in Maryland and they they actually got to a point they were doing mobbing you know 5 to 6 hours a day. Wow. And and went from they they were ETL in SQL, right? So they're doing uh, like data ingestion and cleanup all in SQL. And they went from no tests to tests to at the end of maybe six to seven months, they were doing test-driven development in SQL, which, wow. which is almost unheard of. And And they had a really wonderfully emotionally intelligent person on their team who was actually their tester. Um, and they came up with a saying in their retros, which was, it's okay not to be done. And, you know, that was, that was a really valuable saying. Because so often, you know, you're getting close to lunch. And you're like, oh, we should do a retro. But we're almost done with this project. <laughs> we're <laughs> almost done with this feature. And, and because of that, the retro wouldn't get done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just having that saying of it's okay not to be done gave them permission to say, even though we're not done, it's important that we do our retro and digest. Uh, having the team come to the realization that they could do, they should do uh, retro at least once, if not more. Uh, yeah. That's a huge uh, mindset change. But uh, you know, they, another they have, thing they I have... see with the retros. Uh huh. Is you know so if you have a team of like five people, and you ask for observations, you should at least get five observations, right? But if the, you have an observant team, you should get you know fifteen, twenty observations. Like everyone should be seeing three or four things that occurred in the last two to four hours. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um. Sometimes I wouldn't get that, and it, there's two ways this would happen. One is like I remember I had a team of twelve people and I would I would get barely twelve observations, and so you can practice that. And one of the ways you can practice it, of course, is just literally doing the retros themselves. Um, a lot of times, as the teams have done retros for over the course of of weeks and weeks, they will actually start writing their observations as they're doing the actual mobbing, right? So. They'll collect a lot of the, hey, I noticed this happened in the course of just regular mobbing. 
And so when we stop, they are already sort of have three or four sitting with them that have occurred over the last last few hours. Uh, the other way is there's a particular exercise called visual thinking strategies. And this actually comes from the art world. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it is a way of appreciating art. And there's a lot of really interesting research around it. They actually use it to train spies now. But basically, you, you look at a piece of art, and then people tell you things about the art. And so let's, let's say we're looking at the Mona Lisa. I think everybody knows what that picture looks like. And they might say something like, she's happy. And so that's that's an inference. So you would you would then say, what evidence do you see that tells you that she's happy? And, and they might say, well, she's smiling, right? Or they might say something like, she's smiling, <laughs> in hmm. which case you'll be like, okay, well, what do you infer from that? In which case they might be like, you know, she knows something you don't know, or she's happy, or, you know, she's thinking something internally. Or she just heard a funny joke. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't necessarily have to be right. In fact, it very often isn't right. But mm. just that process of saying what you see and then your inferences are saying what you're inferring and then what is the evidence for it, it helps you to actually see more things. And so when I when I had that team where I wasn't getting very many observations, I would start each of their mobbing sessions with a 10-minute visual thinking strategies where I literally would just go to Google, type the word art, pick a picture, bring it up. Better if I haven't seen the picture before because then I'm not tempted to correct them. And set a timer for 10 minutes and say, tell me what you see. And after about a week of this, they would just see more things. And my mm. retros started getting richer. And then after... So then I stopped doing the visual thinking strategies and just use the retros. And then I get to this point where the retros almost don't need to happen, that people are making these observations as we go and they're really digesting a lot of things. But what I've noticed is if I get to the point where the retros don't need to happen and I stop doing the retros, I can then wait two or three weeks and I'll be right back to I need the retros again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like. You need to reinforce that behavior. Uh, we have seen this uh, quite often, even the daily stand-ups. Yeah. If some of the teams, if they go from daily to maybe three times a week, you know the second week when they come in, it's all starting all over again. It's like yeah. they never did stand-up. <laughs> you lose those habits. You lose those behaviors. Yeah. So, so you know, having that regular uh, kind of, uh, reinforcement and uh, making sure that that gets done yeah. uh, need, needs to be and the reasoning behind it why we are doing that so so I think that 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 does help so and it sounds like this can really accelerate uh, the pace at which teams become high performing so most teams if they move completely to mobbing where they're they're doing you know upwards of you know, 30 to 40 hours a week of mobbing, they start performing 20 to 30 times as well, right? Wow. And then by that, I mean doing 20 to 30 times the amount of stories than the same team was doing before they were mobbing. It's, it's incredible. Now, most of the teams where I'm bringing mobbing in, I'm doing it as a mechanism of coaching. And so they're not doing it when I leave. 
We're just using it as a mechanism so I can see how the teams are behaving right. and so that I can influence the behavior. And that is, is still a very powerful way, um, but I'm not going to get a 20 or 30 time improvement from that. I'm going to get closer to like, you know, a two or three time improvement. It's, it's specific behavior, specific blockers in the team that are occurring that we can get rid of. But I think what, what it tells them is that what is their true capacity? Now, whether they can do or they cannot, I mean, that's another aspect that they need to realize. But whenever so they the say what's the interesting thing about that is once you start doing this, you'll notice the team doesn't seem like it's moving all that fast. Um, like it doesn't look like they're super busy. What it looks like is almost like they're a little bit lazy, right? Like, I'll give you a couple examples of this. Um, one is, while we're doing this, like, I put out a tweet. It went to 3,000 people, right? Like, that's not me being hyper, like, productive. Like, but if I wanted to send something out to 3,000 people, say, like, 20 years ago, it would be mailing and envelopes and stamps. And we're talking about like a week's worth of work to get even a small amount of information out to 3,000 people. Right. And, and very often the teams look like that, right? That something that used to be weeks and weeks and weeks is now like pushing a button. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't look like they're moving super fast. Right. They're just being super productive. And, and a good example of this is, so uh, the lady is a database expert, uh, Lynn Langett, was working at Hunter, which is the place where the first mob occurred. And in the morning, she was like, hey, I'm ready to do the reports. I've, you know, I've done my research. I'm ready to start building the reporting system. And I was like, hey, you should go and, and do it with the mob. And she's like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. And I was like, come on, you know Woody. Woody's super nice. Like, you should go do that. And she's like, well, I'll think about it. Now, you probably know that when 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 someone tells you, I'll think about it, that that's means, the, a no. polite way of saying no. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I was teaching a class. And so at lunchtime, I gave her a call to check in with her. And I'm like, so how'd the mobbing go? Because I know she's going to say no, but this will give me my chance to encourage her to do it again. Mm-hmm. And she says, um, it's in production right now. The VP is watching the manufacturing data on his iPhone. And I was like, that's wow. awesome. <laughs> so, so how did you go from zero to VP watching it on their iPhone in, in a morning? And, and the first answer was, well, so she's like, well, I'm going to need an app. And, you know, we have to set up the source control and we have to set up. And they're like, oh, we've done that a lot of times. It's automated. And so, boom, boom. And now they have an empty project set up. Mm. And she was like, okay. And she's like, well, now I need this piece of data. And the DBA is there. And they're like, oh, well, I know where to get that. That's right here. She's like, and I need to wire it up to this piece of the front end. But their front end engineers are right there. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have that. Just copy this template. And, and so all of the extra pieces of the work became, that would have waited <laughs> yeah would have waited or you would have had to rediscover or they, they were trivial yeah right they should have been trivial you should have just had to focus on this one thing 
Right. And and they could. Yeah, yeah. And so very often in programming, very simple things are extremely difficult to do. Yeah, I mean this is this is like a work in progress limit personified. Yeah. It's it's, it's a very accelerated whip limit. Yeah. And it's you know so many companies they have the same piece of logic implemented seven different ways in seven different pieces of the code base. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is a very inefficient way of doing it. And if you do it in a mob, what you usually have is the same, or that one piece of logic in one function being called from seven different places. Right. And so the first time you write it, it takes about as much time in the mob as it would if you're just writing it individually. Correct. But the second time you write it, it still takes about the same amount of time, except for instead of ending up with two different things, you end up with a u- utility class or utility function or some sort of encapsulation that's being called in two places. And then the third time, instead of taking you know five or six hours or one or two days, it takes about 30 seconds, yep. right? Which, which is an order of magnitude of several thousand times faster. Right, right, right. Right. And then the fourth time and the fifth time and the sixth time and the seventh time. And then all of a sudden you're you're infinitely more productive because this thing that should have been easy actually was. Yeah. 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 And I think the, the uh, other thing that it automatically uh, you know, enforces is keep this team together. Let the workflow to it, because now the team knows how to work together. Yes. They know the you know who has the skill sets, who has their. Uh, strengths, weaknesses, blah, blah, blah. But Teams works as a unit. As a of... team. And so your optimizations are not local optimizations. Exactly. They're team optimizations. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But in but any case, certainly you're up-leveling the skills of everyone in the team. Oh, I think absolutely. everybody's learning. So. And you're uh, up-leveling them in two different ways. And they're, they're both important. One is what I would consider... Um, like proficient skill, right? So it's like, if, if you think about Photoshop, the first time that the artist pulls it out, like we have no idea that Photoshop even exists, uh-huh. right? But after like a week of that, now we actually know where Photoshop is and we can open it, even though we still can't really do anything with it. So we haven't gained proficiency yet, but we've gained awareness. Right. Right. And then over time, we'll also gain proficiency. But let's say that he's gone. There'll be some things that we have low proficiency that we can do. Mm-hmm. And then we have other things that we can we can bring it up and then we can go get someone who's proficient in Photoshop and bring them in and say, OK, help us do this particular thing. We can show you you know, where you need to go, but we can't actually do the thing. Do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and. And that might be with the database, right? So, like, you might need, you know, you might have another DBA sort of pitch it tune for you. That might be another DBA from within the company, or it might be, you know, like a consultant, or it could even be a new hire, right? Right. right. Um, where like they're bringing that expertise, you have a, you have awareness. You might have low proficiency, but you know how your system works. So, with that other person, you can move really quickly. Right. And and this idea that like you don't have to know everything, you don't right. have to be everything, but the team can still be efficient. That is is massively mm-hmm. undervalued. Absolutely, it's like a 
no matter how smart one person is, team will always beat that person if the team works together. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that we're seeing. The Archidemia study from Google, which studied sort of like what makes great teams, mm-hmm. we are seeing that team intelligence is way more important than individual performing intelligence. Absolutely. And so this is an excellent mechanism to help us have better team intelligence. That's a great, great term, team intelligence. I'll, I'll use that more often. <laughs> okay, I think we had an awesome discussion. We really appreciate your insights. Oh, it's been great. I think, being uh, yeah, so I know you have few other things you can bring to the table. So we'll do a couple more sessions with you because you have so much to offer. I would enjoy that. Steve, I think your last call is to get uh, how people can reach him. Yeah, go ahead. There's a couple of easy ways. Uh, Twitter is fantastic. LinkedIn is another great way to connect. Um, my name is Internet Unique, so that that helps. It's Llewellyn Falco. The first one is L-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N. Lots of L's. Uh, and then Falco is like Falcon, the bird, but without the N. And then um, if you are actually in the Bay Area and you're interested in seeing what this looks like, I have a free two-hour session for companies where I come in, we do a small lecture, and then we actually open up your code and we do a sample working on your code. And so if you're in the Bay Area and that's something that's interesting, reach out and we can set that up. I might take you up on that. (laughs) That'd be fantastic. (laughs) Awesome. Great. Well, thanks a lot. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Happy mobbing, everybody. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.